Touch can be a funny thing. Touch can be enjoyable. Touch can be inappropriate. Touch can hurt. Touch can be healing. And touch is different in every culture. In some, some cultures, just a handshake is not enough. In some cultures, a hug is too much. In some cultures, we are asked to kiss the air on both sides of somebody's face. In some cultures, we are asked to handshake and then put our arm on the other person's arm. In some cultures, we're asked to pat a person's head. And on and on and on. I've invited Jake Elliott up here to uh, demonstrate with me a few sample forms of how we touch in our own culture so that you can get a feel for touch. There's the, first of all, there's the as close as it gets kind of a touch. <laughs> then there is the limp handshake. Then there is the pull your hand off handshake. Then there is the two-step handshake. Then there is the coffee hug. And then there's the lean-in hug. And finally, there's the man hug. All of these touches remind us that there are so many ways that we react and we respond and we connect with people. And this morning, I ask you right up front, when was the last time surprising happiness came to you in the form of a touch? While we know touch can be awkward or even invasive, we're here to celebrate today the joy and the life-giving value of Jesus' touch in our lives and through the lives of others. And so to explore this more fully this morning, we are going to explore two healings, the faith of two people, the power of touch, and Jesus' ability to bring life from death. If you would, take out your Bibles and let's turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5. And we're going to start with verse 21 and go through 42. Mark 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped 
and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what he had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house, the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and all of this wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Let's pray. Lord, we see these two stories, and they so loudly speak for themselves about the power of your touch. Let us hear these words with new ears, with new minds, with new hearts. Let them sink deeply. Let them apply them in the ways that you would call us to apply them. In your name, amen. Jesus had just been through an emotionally draining experience in the region of the Gerasenes, where he had cast out a legion, which was a thousand demons from one guy who was walking through the tombs. And it went into a herd of pigs, and the people in the town kicked Jesus out. And he got into a boat, and he went across the Sea of Galilee. And in this passage, we catch him just having got off that boat after that emotionally draining experience. And he's quickly approached by a leader of the local synagogue who falls at his feet, announcing that his daughter is dying and begging, as the scripture says repeatedly, Jesus, please help me, please help me, please help me. Well, what do we know about Jairus? As a leader of the local synagogue, he's a person of great importance in his community. And as a leader there in the synagogue in those days, he no doubt heard about Jesus, who many considered a heretic, somebody who was telling false truths. And so Jairus could have been very suspicious of this traveling teacher, but instead he chose to lay aside his pride, fall on his feet, and beg repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
So Jesus starts to go with them, and so does a big crowd. And the Bible tells us that the crowd was pressing in on him. Have you ever been on one of those crowds? I was the first image that comes to my mind is being at Disneyland uh, right after the parade and the fireworks in the middle of Disneyland, especially when our kids were small, and you just had to move with the herd of people. Uh, We were grabbing little hands, hoping we had everybody. And there's no body space anymore. You just deal with it. You step on people's toes, you elbow, you just keep moving through. And I imagine that's what Jesus was feeling that day as they're just walking along and there's people pressing in on him, asking him questions. It was every person for his or herself. And I remembered then, as I was thinking about that crowd, I remember our oldest daughter, Kelly, telling us about what life is like in an Eastern culture where crowding is okay. And she learned this kind of the challenging way in trying to get on one of those little buses over there called a matatu, which is a little minivan. And at first, she would always just kind of stand and look for the line and stand in it. And people just kept rushing into the little bus. Finally, one of her Kenyan friends said, Kelly, you are going to have to elbow and move and and get in there. And she learned that in the Eastern culture that there are no lines. You just crowd in and everybody's nice about it. And when we sat in traffic, we realized that too. There's no lines. You just get in there and you go. So this was very normal in some ways for Jesus to have experienced this and for the people to have have felt this. And so as he is going there in this crowd, on the scene arrives a woman who's had this horrible illness And the Bible tells us for 12 years. Sadly, this illness was quite common among women in that culture. And the Jewish Talmud, the ancient Jewish Talmud, says there were 11 known cures for this, though some of those were superstitious. And so she undoubtedly would have tried many of the different cures, gone to many of the doctors. And as we see, she said, I went to many doctors. I have used up all of my money. She was out of money. She was also a woman, marginalized and treated with much less respect than a man. And her disease was considered impure and she shouldn't have even been outside. Furthermore, to claim that type of illness in public was highly embarrassing. So she came to Jesus as an absolute last resort. She'd heard about him. She elbowed her way through the pressing crowd, came up behind him and touched his cloak. Now, this story also appears in Matthew and Luke, where it tells that she touched the hem of his garment. And I have to admit that for many years, I I imagined this woman. I don't know how I could have imagined getting down in the middle of this big crowd that keeps moving, bending over and trying to touch way down at the bottom of his robe. And I thought, how did she not get trampled? Well, as you study this close, more closely, you realize that, first of all, if in this passage, it talks about a cloak. So there is a cloak, and Jesus might have been wearing that, and she touched the edge of that. Or it's possible that she touched the hem, which would be those tassels hanging down there on the talit that he might have been wearing as well. So we have a little discrepancy in what exactly he was wearing. But in any case, she knew where the edge was, and she touched it. And she believed that if she touched it, she would be healed. And in verses 29 and 30, uh, Mark 
gives us his key word over and over. If you ever have read the book of Mark in one sitting, you might feel like you're in a hurry the whole way through because he uses at once or immediately. Everybody's doing, go in here, go there, go here, go there. So right within these couple verses, immediately she's healed. Immediately Jesus feels power going out of him. He stops and he says, who touched me? And of course, we read here, the disciples said, you could just hear them. Go, Jesus, how would you know who touched you? There are people all over the place. There are people elbowing you. There are people in front of you. How would you know somebody touched you? And everybody stops. Cue the music, right? This dramatic pause. Jesus looks around. And of course, the woman is now afraid. She just wanted to go touch and she was better. And so she'd just be on her way. But now she has to admit what she's done. And she comes and she falls at his feet, telling him the whole truth. And what does he say to her? Would you say this with me in unison? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In these two stories, we find two people reaching out to touch Jesus in surprising ways. The leader gets over his pride. The marginalized woman elbows her way through embarrassment to touch the healer. So now we've arrived at a good challenge for us. Are we really willing to admit our need to reach out and touch Jesus, even if it means having the faith to fight through our pride and go beyond what might seem reasonable. You see, we love being self-sufficient, don't we? We love being in control. We don't like to admit we're dependent upon somebody or something else. In my teenage and young adult years, I felt like I was invincible. I could eat whatever I wanted. I could do any physical activity. And now that I'm older, things have changed a little bit. Now some things aren't working as well as they used to, and eating whatever I want whenever I want doesn't always go so well. So I've had to learn the hard way to reach out not only to humans who can help me, but more importantly to God in whose arms I am held. In this, I have had to surprise myself by reaching out to touch God in ways I would not have before considered then thinking I could take care of things on my own. You know, the world screams at us, yells at us to take care of ourselves, to forge our own path, to be empowered. And these things can be good, but when they go to the extreme, we could then imagine what it would be like if the leader of the synagogue, who instead of turning to Jesus, decided to do nothing and figure out things for himself. Go find another cure. Or just let his daughter die? Or what if the woman who, instead of venturing outside, stayed inside and was sick the rest of her life? What would you choose of the options we've explored so far? May we choose faith. So Jesus finishes speaking to the woman. And when he sees some people from the leader's house who tell the leader, Too late now. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus overhears what they said, and he tells Jairus, Do not fear. Only believe. 
Now imagine if you were Jairus and you heard these words, what would have been your immediate reaction? Well, that's easy for you to say, Jesus. And remember, Jairus was putting his faith in one who he may still have a few doubts about. And as far as we know, Jairus said nothing. Jesus kept going, only taking Peter and James and John with them. And they get to the house. There's a commotion. People are weeping and wailing loudly. They're probably rending their garments down to their heart as they did in in mourning. They were playing flutes. They were screaming. They were making commotion. And Jesus enters that time of desperation and says, Why are you doing all this? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And what was the reaction of the people? They laughed. (laughs) Who is this guy? What does he think he's doing? She's dead. It it says then, and I I read this for the first time in kind of a humorous way. It says, Jesus put them all outside. (laughs) Can you imagine? You guys have a timeout. You're out. You're, You're out. And he invited the mother and the father and the three disciples to come in with him. He took the daughter by the hand. He said, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. And then again, the word immediately appears. She got up and she started walking. I would have loved to have seen the faces of the laughers then. Not in a revengeful way, but just to say, this is amazing God we serve. What does this say to us? Jairus and the woman surprisingly reach out to touch Jesus, but then Jesus surprisingly reached out to touch them. Why do I say surprisingly? We easily forget the power of a miracle. We read the Bible and we see these stories saying, of course he did that. He's Jesus. These two, while they likely had knowledge of God's miracles and stories long ago, thought that that was could have thought that was for then and not for now. Jesus showed them differently. They had faith beyond reason and they were surprised by the touch of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Denny excellently helped us work through Job 38. We pondered how God works in our world and how through faith we manage the tension of when God chooses to intervene with a miracle and when he chooses not to do so. And many times we're told to not be surprised when Christ does a miracle or orchestrates a valuable lesson or brings us into the presence of a person who profoundly impacts us. But yet, even though I myself have said I should not have been surprised, the truth was I was surprised. And after reading this, I should be surprised. And I'm inviting you to be as well, continually surprised. Because when we cease being surprised, we begin losing our awe of the God who chooses to create us, to sustain us, to heal us, to save us. When was the last time you were surprised by a touch from Jesus in your life in a big way or a small way? We are called to surprise ourselves by reaching out to Christ. We are challenged to be surprised by God who reaches back. There's one more area of important touch, and it takes us all the way back to the beginning of this time. We are agents of God's touch, both receiving 
and giving. Our greeting in whatever form it is, whether it's the man hug or the two-step handshake or whatever it might be, the pat on the back begins or brings healing to the lives of others. Our touch brings comfort. It brings challenge. It brings encouragement. It brings connection and more. Where are you reaching out to touch? By being physically present with your close friends, with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with those who have needs around you? Are you valuing the power of a handshake, a pat on the back, a hug, looking someone in the eyes, expressing a smile, and more? Then are you willing to have others reach into your life and care? For 36 years of ministry, I've watched people who walk through the sad times of life slugging it out alone unwilling to let others help or unwilling to share their fears or their doubts with those ready to listen. I have watched people who let others into their life to walk with them through the most difficult of moments. Guess which of those two groups fare better? You know the answer. So what about us? Let's be surprised by touch. Two weeks ago, I attended the eighth grade promotion at Lacumba Junior High. Over the last two years, I've been honored to go and tutor for just 45 minutes a week over a lunch hour with some kids from the AVID class, which means Advancing Via Individual Determination. All these kids you see in this picture will be the first ones in their family to go to college. And I've just been there for 45 minutes roaming around the class. Just my touch with them has been to just help them with problem solving. I went to their promotion and I knew a few of them because I had a little more interaction. And I was surprised by touch that day. I walked up to a few guys getting ready just to give them a high five and they gave me a hug and said, thank you so much. They thanked me way more than I deserved. And in that moment, God surprised me by touch and by the power of what we think is sometimes so insignificant. And yet people are so grateful. We're used by God. Take these few moments while we're still in sanctuary to reach out to God. And perhaps for many of us, it's asking for a fresh touch of His Spirit in our life. Maybe we haven't felt the surprise of His touch in a while or opened ourselves to receive it. And perhaps we need prayer in ourselves to be able to reach out and to touch God first and foremost. Or maybe God's putting on our hearts and minds somebody today whom we need to touch. You know that this altar is always open. If during this last song or while we have this time, if you just want to come and pray and give that touch to God, you're welcome to do that or in your pew as well. But may your faith in him surprise you. May your trust help you to be surprised by his touch. Let's take a few moments.